Oh, hey there, guys. You probably just caught me at a time where I'm just sitting here drinking in the geese, the torrent of geese. No, actually, I'm sitting in my park. But that audio that you're listening to comes from our guest today, the creators of the new platform, Mammals. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation, episode 197, brought to you from the Wildlands Collective, the Apocalypse Edition. Uh, This is weird. Um, I'm literally recording in the middle of the park because uh, my house is too crazy and loud and um, really, in general, uh, you, you, you know, you just can't escape uh, where you are at this time. So I'm lucky enough to be able to sit in the park. It was really weird asking the police officer standing there, like, can I sit in the park and record voiceovers? Like, yeah, I don't care. Just go. Just be alone. Uh, so here I am. Uh, you know what? And I'll just throw a picture up on the website so you can see I am, in fact, recording alone in the park. Um, so, yeah, you'll probably hear cars drive by, dogs barking, uh, planes, birds. Um, but there's something really special about that and perfect about that because of today's show. Uh, so for this episode, we did an interview with the creators of the startup Mammals. I don't want to say too much about it because I really want Rob Whitehair and Alex Finden, the co-founders and co-creators, I was a, a saw in the distance, to tell you about it themselves. Um, but I will say that it's really, it's an it's a really awesome platform, and I think you're going to like it. And uh, it's a special time to do it too because one, it's uh, Mr. Alex Finden's birthday, so. Happy birthday, Alex. He paid me to say that, so I just want you to know that in in advance. But the Mammals platform is set to launch on April 22nd, Earth Day. So mark your calendars because that's two weeks away from today. So everything we're talking about is two weeks away from the time of the publishing of this podcast. So... Uh, We hope it's going well. We hope it's off to a good start. And we're going to be keeping in touch with mammals because it's such an interesting experience. It's an interesting experiment in the way that we use social media and technology in today's environment to do something good for the environment and for conservation. We're going to be paying particularly close attention to mammals because their mission and our mission at Wildlands is very, very similar, which is democratizing the storytelling place of conservation issues. And that is something that we hold near and dear to our hearts at the Wildlands Collective, and they've really built it into the platform at Mammals. And although we're doing different things, it's really cool to see that there's so much crossover. So I really hope you enjoy this show. Uh, As it goes on, you're going to hear a lot of audio that comes directly from the Mammals platform. The, The birds that you've heard in the beginning of this podcast those are all that's audio from the mammals platform so um, if you like what you're hearing and you like some of that stuff you can see links on the show notes page which is wildlensinc.org slash eoc197 or uh, if you're listening to this after earth day or you've jumped in on the beta testing in between the 8th and the 22nd you can go onto the mammals platform yourself and check it out firsthand so i do hope you do that 
Uh, let us know what you think about it. Give us some feedback. And as usual, we want to hear everything you have to say, not only about mammals and, and what the work they're doing, but also what you think about the show and how you think we're going. We are here to serve the community as best we can. So thank you very much for listening. And oh, oh, l- listen to that. Here, com- here come some kestrels right now. Not in the park. This is actually more mammals audio. Hope you enjoy it. Talk to you soon. So I'm here with Rob Whitehair and Alex Finden. Um, why don't the two of you, not at the same time, because that might be a little confusing, but just introduce yourself for listeners and just tell them who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name's Rob Whitehair. I am a longtime wildlife filmmaker. I've been uh, making films for over 20 years. Um, I started out as a wildlife biologist. Um and realized that communicating to about 10 people who would listen to what I was um, finding wasn't exactly the most efficient way to um, communicate. Um, So I fell in love with storytelling um, at a young age and um, decided that I would um, tell stories, wildlife stories. Um, And that came about because I was working on the... um, as a volunteer on the California Condor program, and they had spent all this money captively propagating this beautiful bird and decided to re-release all these birds after they had taken uh, all the wild birds out of the the, uh, wild population. And they released 15 birds back into the wild and nobody really said anything and um they didn't really tell the public there was a couple news blurbs on it but but they had no real pr um and weren't communicating what they were doing so the birds kind of ran into the same problems so they had to pull all the birds back in well at the time um we were still in the age of like vhs tapes and i um proposed that we would make a short PSA piece to um, tell people that we were re-releasing the birds back in. And so um, I ended up getting tasked with that. And I had no idea about making films. I had never done that. I just love stories. And so I learned how to operate a camera uh, while condors were flying over my head. And um, over the process of making that 32nd PSA piece, I fell in love with filmmaking and ended up making an hour-long documentary um, about the California condor. And the premise of that film was, here's this beautiful bird just being a bird 
and all this human drama that goes around it is what was causing all the problems and even even in like-minded organizations people fighting for wanting to have credit for you know saving the condor and and who was the champion of that um all of that struck me um as this is where I need to put all my energy and my life. And so I finished that film. I sent it up to the International Wildlife Film Festival in Missoula, Montana, and miraculously won a bunch of awards. And I've been making films ever since. That's a pretty cool story. So a filmmaker by accident, really. And my dad calls it the accidental career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which which isn't that bad. I mean, a dad could say a lot worse things. So that's, yes, that's he pretty can. good. <laughs> was that one of those moments where you were like, hey, we should do a video of it. And then they were like, great idea, Rob. Why don't you take the wheel on this one? And then you were like, That Damn is exactly it. how it happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Well, very cool. Um, yeah, Alex, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Alex Finden. Um, and I actually have a similar story in the sense that we both started in biology. Um, I made films when I was younger, pretty much any opportunity I had to make a video version of an assignment. I just found it to be a really creative and fun media format, uh, but didn't have any idea what I wanted to do with those skills. I did end up going to college uh, specifically for film um, and then later tacked on a biology degree when I discovered that documentary film was definitely what I wanted to be doing, and more specifically, wildlife film. Um, I think somewhere along the road between growing up in San Diego by the ocean and visiting all of the, you know, safari park and zoos and watching people like David Attenborough and Steve Irwin on TV, uh, it all, it all coalesced into one passion when I increased my education in college. And, um, and so that's, uh, that became like a very specific career to pursue, but I had no idea how to pr pursue that because it's not like a corporate ladder where you start at the beginning and you rise up through the ranks. It's like, who do you know? And how can you make a film and who do you send it to? And does it go on TV? Um, I mean, that's, that's what I thought at the time. That's probably how it worked. And so I thought, well, I first need to know what I'm doing with a camera. And uh, I love the ocean. And I recently learned how to scuba dive. So maybe underwater camera could be my specialty. And when I graduated college, I moved to Hawaii, became a dive master, and just spent as many hours as I possibly could in the water with a camera, trying to get good at keeping it steady and filming animals as they swim by, which... It's very challenging, <laughs> um, but very fun. And uh, I was lucky enough to have some mentors throughout that couple of year period that I'd grown up watching films from and who have been really impactful in the conservation space. Um, people like Sean Heinrichs and Howard and Michelle Hall, who have taught me most of what I know about underwater filmmaking. Um, and I took those skills and started working on some conservation film projects and then got inspired to write my own films and thought, well, uh, most of these festivals I've been attending that 
produce these films are out of Montana and Wyoming. So I probably can't stay in Hawaii for much longer because even though it's fun to dive, I can't find any business out here. So moved to Montana. And uh, as you can assume, that's where I ended up meeting Rob, who was still there after 20 years making wildlife films. <laughs> um, and uh, actually, it's funny. When I first moved to Montana, I sent an email out to Rob because I was recommended to reach out to him by somebody else. And he just like totally gave me the cold shoulder and never replied. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> you don't sound bitter about it at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's fine. Whatever. It worked out for the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but throughout that time, I was in Montana, uh, you know, pitching films and and showing people my cinematography reel. Um, at first, I thought I really just needed to be better at what I was doing and. Maybe I didn't have the experience or, or the eye for filmmaking and because I wasn't having a lot of success uh, getting the funding I needed to tell those stories or getting a distribution platform for the films I had finished. But then I realized right. those same mentors that were teaching me everything I know who have been in this industry for decades, they can't find any work either. They can't find any distribution either. And so maybe this is a problem that is deeper than I realized. And uh, that's when Rob and I started talking about maybe there's a solution that somebody can bring up to have a new way of making money in this industry. Because if we don't figure that out, then the people who want to be storytellers like us, not only are we not going to be able to do that as a living, which is the selfish reason, but we're not going to be able to communicate about the natural world and inspire others in the way that we were inspired growing up. Uh, if, if you're not getting money to do it and if it's not being distributed in a place where people are watching it. So, right. so that's, that was the context that Rob and I met in when we were working at the international wildlife film festival. And that was in 2017. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect time to transition into the the question that's that's reigning over all of this, which is, what is mammals? Today I've got an absolute treat. This gorgeous little Brachysia chameleon, one of the leaf chameleons, smallest family of chameleons in the world. Their camouflage is absolutely spot on. They look just like dead leaves. When you find them in the leaf litter around here, almost impossible to spot them. But today we've gotten super lucky. I think this is the brown leaf chameleon, Brachysia superciliaris. As you can see, he's got these two horns just above his eyes. Give him a bit of a fierce look. Hi, I'm Kat, and like most of us here in the UK, I'm obsessed with talking about the weather. Here's my number one weather fact all about crickets. Did you know that crickets can tell us the temperature? Cricket's chirp is a way of communicating. The frequency of this varies whether it's hot or cold. Like all other insects, crickets are cold-blooded, meaning that they take their temperature from their surroundings. As temperature rises, it becomes easier for them to chirp. The correlation between air temperature and the rate at which crickets chirp was first studied by Amos Dolbert, a 19th century American professor, inventor and physicist. Based upon his research, he developed the following formula, now known as Dolbert's Law. To estimate the temperature in degrees Celsius, simply pick out the chirping sound of a single cricket, 
Count the number of chirp the cricket makes in 25 seconds, divide by three, then add four. So there you have it, a new TV forecaster in the making. So a lot of times when you're flipping logs, you just have to remember that it's very rare to find salamanders and they're not usually, oh my God. Oh, I mean, oh my gosh. Wow, you're kidding. Okay, look at that. That, oh my gosh, was what we were looking for this whole time. That is a marbled salamander. This is definitely one of the most elusive salamanders, in my experience at least, that we have in North Carolina. I very rarely ever see these guys. That is so cool. Now, let me grab him real quick. Let me get my hands moist so I can pick him up. And then I'll show you guys what makes them so awesome. I cannot believe our luck today. This is a marbled salamander. One of the very few salamanders that we have in North Carolina in the mole salamander genus. We finally found out what makes me speechless. Woo! We've just seen killer whales from a cliff. We were sat here. Don't know what to say, I'm a little bit numb. Insane. My bum's numb from sitting on the ice. The sun is shining. I can't believe it, we've actually seen him. <clears throat> we had to come up with a solution. After 20 years in the business, I saw, you know, I, I had experienced not only the struggles myself of, of um, getting projects commissioned or, or co-produced, uh, you know, it, it, the average in general from the time that you conceive an idea to getting it on television is about four years. And that's a huge, you know, time scale to pitch and produce one project. And often I found right. out that the subject matter of like the, the conservation issue that was related to that particular thing changed in the middle of, you know, production. Right. And it was really, um, it was really disconcerting from a few different standpoints to me. One being the, the, uh, um, business side of it, that it just wasn't sustainable, um, to make a decent living doing this. And two, the conservation ramifications of, you know, getting making one film and having it seen on television by an audience and basically it's a one hit wonder kind of thing. You get it and people see it once and then it goes away. And and then you have to spend so much time trying, you know, behind the scenes to get this film shown in conservation circles that it just isn't that efficient process. And there was there had to be a better way to do it. And so about ten years ago I started conceiving of the idea of creating a new platform, but I knew that it couldn't just be a video on demand, you know, passive viewing video on demand platform. Like everybody else was coming up with that same idea that there had to be some type of social element to it so that people could react to it. Because the one thing I knew in all the time of making films is that when people watch a film, the predominant question is what can I do to help? And usually hmm. that ends up being something that's put in the credits, you know, to give people uh, an option. If you 
what can you know here's an option to help and go to this website and then they have a whole string of things by the time they've gotten to the place where they can either donate or do something they've sort of gotten out of that emotional moment and i wanted to figure out a way to capture that emotional moment so that when somebody saw it and felt the emotion that they could immediately do something about it and that's when i met alex and um well you can take off on that part yeah well, well and, and just quickly so, i just i think people don't even you know when you talk about like a four year time frame for beginning of conception to actually getting it in front of an audience like so much especially when it comes yeah. to conservation or if it was an endangered species that's that's the difference between on planet earth or completely erased from from existence absolutely absolutely the the urgency at which we need to act and and communicate is much greater than the speed at which the film industry works right most of chester lamb specimens were collected before mexico became the modern industrial economy it is today with this one-of-a-kind collection as their guide John and his colleagues can revisit the places where Lamb worked and find out what has changed. John was telling me that it would be nice to try to find places that have been heavily transformed. And I immediately thought about the Los Tuxtlas region here in Veracruz. Here we are, walking in Lamb's footsteps, here in the foothills of one of the big volcanoes in the Tuxla region, the Volcan San Martin. All around us here, you've got the sounds of the birds of the tropical jungle. But only 5% of the original forest is remaining in this part of Mexico. If you see like from, from the air, it's like an island completely surrounded by this matrix of agriculture and things like that that have been heavily transformed. All right, Will, you ready? 5 June. All right, um, turkey vulture, black vulture, blue ground dove. Oh, did you get a slave-rested tinema? Ready ground dove. Bright rump tatilla, sulfur-bellied flycatcher. White-breasted wood wren. Did we cover warblers? No. Rufus crowned warbler? We've only been here for a day or two, but the birds here have changed quite a lot. Um, certain species probably have disappeared, and other species associated with agriculture and cattle have come in. And so that's something that we were working to change. Yeah. I mean, if you think of pangolins have been in the spotlight again, and think about where they were four years ago. I mean, if it took that long to tell a story about them, you know, you're talking about an 80% population reduction in that time. So you're having these thoughts, you're trying to figure out a better model, and then in walks the door, Alex, and all these dusty emails sitting in your inbox from three, four years ago. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. One, totally. one specific, uh, really dusty email. Okay. I knew, I knew that the person that I needed to partner with in this was somebody who wasn't necessarily of my generation. It needed to be somebody who was brought up in this world, who 
computers and phones and and gaming and everything was just a already a part of their world and it was like second nature to them they they knew that stuff because it's not the world that i was brought up in i know the film business i know media um and business but knowing this part of it was integral to um to finding that right mix that would make it work and that's when i met alex yeah so we were actually working on a project in the wildlife film festival uh called filmmaker labs and the idea was we would pair up science media makers with uh scientists early in their career postdoctoral scientists to uh teach them how to tell stories for clients like world wildlife fund who want a creative artful approach to storytelling so bringing together scientists in their early careers with media makers to tell stories in a creative way for clients like world wildlife fund who have a use for that media um, and often the scientists working with them on those projects don't have the skill sets to do that um, and it was this total experiment it was a last minute thing and uh, i was at the time making posters for the wildlife film festival and the producer came in and said hey we need somebody to take over this project and nobody's doing it. And we're a couple of weeks out. What do you think? <laughs> I was like, sure, I'll take the challenge on. Um, I, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have the camera equipment we were going to be using, nothing. And uh, somehow I was able to stitch all those pieces together and make it happen. And Rob was watching me while I was making all that happen and decided, well, there's the guy that can handle the operations of this idea <laughs> that I have and maybe can bring a new perspective in on it as well. Um, and it just so happened that at the time I was also working with content creators on Twitch and on YouTube. Um, Twitch, for those of you who don't know, is a live streaming platform dedicated to video games. So it's basically a giant global community of people watching other people play video games. This is a good time for me to jump in and just kind of preface this. If you, Most people have an idea of what Twitch is, but if you don't, it is so difficult to explain exactly what we're talking about. It's people playing video games and then other people paying and watching those people play video games. Now, if you're not a big gamer or... Uh, I hate to say this, but probably over the age of, you know, well, we'll just leave it at that. You probably don't understand how this is even a thing, but it's definitely a thing. It's very real, and it is extremely, extremely profitable. You still slime me somehow. Got him. I think I can edit it so I can increase the stretch on it. Like, give me, give me two minutes. I'm doing. Okay. Safe. Bail off the. <laughs> right, that's kind of. That's kind of dope. All right, so.
God, this song is so good. Uh, Riften. Chat, chat, chat. Sage or someone else. Oh, I forgot to buy this guy. Who do you guys want me to play? And if you're me, you heard that and it made absolutely no sense. But for a bunch of people listening, we're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's the model they're going after in terms of democratizing the space. It's all user-generated content. Which, on the surface level, sounds like something that, like, why would anybody ever use that? <laughs> but when you really dig into it, you can see how it is responsible for the formation of esports and of this global gaming community uh, because it's a place where everybody can communicate effectively in real time. They can interact with each other about their common interests. Uh, they can be entertained by these respectable personalities and gaming professionals um, who give them that inspiration and that so social experience that they don't necessarily have in their real world environments. Um, and friendships grow over the years of being in those streams and you end up with things like TwitchCon, which sell out every year now. And, you know, I was experiencing all of that thinking, well, this is never going to have anything to do with my career in wildlife, but that ended up being very wrong because it was one of the biggest inspirations for how we could add in a community-based social element to mammals, this new platform that we wanted to create that was going to be streaming nature and wildlife content. And right. so when, when uh, Rob pitched me the original idea for mammals, I didn't make that connection right away. I was very skeptical and I guess I, I paid him back because I took about six months to commit. So I paid him back for not answering my email from before. Um, but then uh, went to him one day and said, hey, uh, if we're going to do this, we're going in 50-50. It's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Perfect. From, yeah. that, from that moment, that was like two and a half years ago now. Yeah. And we've been... We've been uh, creating the new way to experience nature that we call mammals. So I guess this is a really long-winded way of answering your original question. Is <laughs> just, well, I was just thinking that, like what, if you were to break it down <laughs> in like 20 that. seconds, <laughs> we like context. <laughs> yes. 20 words or less. Like what, what is mammals? Like what, what, what could somebody expect if they go and they look up this app? So on the surface, mammals looks very familiar. It looks a lot like, um, something you would see in YouTube um, with a little bit of Facebook and Instagram and maybe Reddit um, all mashed in to one platform, but it operates wholly differently. And that's where we went outside of the natural history business to figure out a way that people could interact in a more efficient way and a more uh, and for content creators, a more prosperous way, giving them an opportunity to actually make a living doing this because nobody should be, you know, just doing this only out of the goodness of their heart. They've got to be able to make a living in the world we live in. So um, we created a, um, a platform that's app and web-based um, that allows anybody anywhere across the world um, to... Um, create content of any type to share it, to socialize about it, and then to monetize that content. 
we like to say it's a complete democratization of the industry because we're really equaling the playing field. We're kind of taking out the middle people and putting creators directly in contact with their audience and their audience will support them and interact with them. It's fascinating how it works. And I know Alex can talk a lot more about, you know, the concept of how it works on Twitch. It fascinated me. I look at it like it's this grand social experiment that um, people are more willing to, to rally around people that they believe in and causes that they believe in rather than putting their money toward a site-wide subscription to something that they're not really sure where all that money goes. They just know they have access to this big, this entire thing that they can, they can, um, you know, have unfettered access to whatever they want to see that people are more willing to, um, spend money toward people that they believe in and they want to be part of the community that those creators, um, are forging and that's a fascinating um to me a fascinating twist in how social behavior is evolving yeah yeah absolutely um what what do what would you say the key components or the key framework from twitch that you from the 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 twitch model that you borrowed were you know, Twitch is solely a live streaming platform, and so Mammals does support live streaming as well as any other media format. Um, but there were a few key things that Twitch has innovated that would be really useful for people who love nature. And uh, one of those things is a tradable digital currency. So uh, we want our audience members to have the ability to fund content creators who are trying to make a living with their content or nonprofit organizations or scientists who are trying to do more privatized research projects and uh, not have to deal with trading different cash currencies to different places and having to go through exchange rates and all that stuff. So we uh, are, are taking a, on Twitch, they call it bits on mammals. We call it seeds. And the idea is that we have, a currency that you can buy through something like PayPal with real dollars. That currency can only be used on mammals to give to other users on mammals, and it doesn't change in value at any point. And when that receiving user wants to cash it out on a monthly recurring basis, they would have the option to exchange that for whatever other currency they want. Um, and so this could be used for somebody in the United States who's just going cash for cash and is making a living that way. But where it gets really interesting and exciting is when you start giving the opportunity to people in developing countries who don't necessarily have centralized banking systems <clears throat> to pull out that money into a currency that they can use to buy groceries, which might be a cryptocurrency or it might be some other format that, you know, is on the rise now. A lot of these other big social platforms are trying to come up with their own coin currencies. And so we want to be right in the mix there and make sure that no matter where in the world you are, if you have a phone, you have the ability with mammals to tell stories from your own perspective 
and make a living doing it, which is something that has certainly not been an opportunity for people in a lot of parts of the world that have some of the most biodiverse wildlife populations and like no voices on the mainstream media. Yeah. What well, I have a question for you and it's going to sound dumb at this point because I think you've already answered it. Um, I think a lot of people are hearing this and saying it sounds a hell of a lot like YouTube. Like why didn't, why not just a YouTube channel? Yeah. I love that question. <laughs> why not just make a YouTube channel? We well, not a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, I don't, and I, again, I don't mean that from like a place of like, this is nothing new. Uh, it already exists. It's called YouTube. But I'm sure that a lot of people have that feeling. Um, what are the main differences there? Yeah. So on YouTube, you do have the ability to upload most formats of content. You do have the ability to monetize that content using their ad share model. The prerequisites for being able to make as much money as you could make using a tipping model uh, put you somewhere at the 1 to 10 million subscriber count. And YouTube has plenty of people at that level, so they don't really care to make it any easier or hands-on in terms of helping people find their audience and find sponsorships and find a way to make a living. Um, but from the perspective of a content creator, that is daunting. That's seemingly impossible. And in most cases, it is, especially for a niche that's not being actively supported by YouTube and their suggestion algorithms. And nature is not in that mix. So there are a few content creators on YouTube that have that follower status in the nature niche that are making a living and are successful in that way. Uh, but for a lot of the people just now coming onto the scene who are super passionate, who are coming to these festivals, we see their storytelling abilities. We see that they want to try to make a difference. A lot of their stories, a lot of the films that we've made end up just like sitting on YouTube and getting a hundred views. And if we just centralized all of those stories onto one channel, then maybe we could drive traffic there with some marketing, but that still then doesn't give us the ability to democratize that opportunity. It doesn't give us enough money in the flow to distribute to the places and people and causes that we're trying to support. And it doesn't give us the creative control to make sure that the whole experience around that content is gamified and interactive because YouTube's tools in that way are very limited and you have to fit into the formula that they have determined is most successful for generic content creation. And so uh, the reason we want to make our own platform is because what the community wants on mammals is something that we could literally create. And the whole experience on our platform can be you know, manufactured from these needs that we've expressed in our industry in a way that is going to be successful long-term that, and you wouldn't get that from something like a YouTube channel. Decided to be a part of Mammals. Um, what does that card say? This one says Ford Thunder Erickson. That is my name. The next, one, sa the next one says, who are you? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm Ford Thunder Erickson. I do all kinds of different things, but the thing I'm going to do with you guys today is we're going to learn some friction fire. Now, now wait a wait a second. Oh yeah, Ford, um, what is friction fire? <laughs> 
What is friction fire? Well, friction fire, technically, almost most kinds of fire making that we even use today are a form of friction fire. Like even when you use a, a lighter, what's happening in there is there's friction between two pieces of material, creates a spark, and then you harness that spark with some kind of lighter fluid or something and you can start a fire. But the friction fire I'm talking about is through primitive materials. So, oh, what kind of materials, Ford? Tell us about what materials are needed to create friction fire. Well, that's interesting that you should ask that because that's actually what I was just going to talk about next. <laughs> what are the odds? Man, we're right on top uh, of this. So, uh, what we're going to talk about today, the first kind is called the bow drill method of friction fire. So, basically, what we're going to be doing, or trying to do because it's kind of cold out here, luckily, it stopped snowing, is we're going to take this piece of wood and this piece of wood, and we're gonna rub them together, hopefully fast enough and efficiently enough that we'll be able to make a little tiny little ember. And when we make that ember, then we're just gonna nurse it along like a little baby, you know? Put it in some, a tinder bundle, which I'll teach you about. Keep blowing on it, harnessing it, and eventually, boom shakalaka, you'll have a fire. So, there's lots of different ways of friction fire, but bow drill is probably the easiest to learn. Uh, but, that being said, it ain't easy. Okay, so it's, it's on We're going to take this. And once again, don't rush. Once you get your coal, take a second, catch your breath. And then you want to drop it right in the center, this really fluffy part of your tinder bundle. Right there. And then fold it over top. Okay, you're kind of smushing it a little bit then. Yeah. Like tucking it in. And he's turning it sideways. And now he's blowing on it. Whoa, check that out. Lots of smoke. Oh, got, I see flames. Got a little bit of flames. I see flames. I'm going to try something different. Instead of blowing on it, I'm just going to run around the yard. <laughs> it's I working. Got it. I got it. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. The other part of that is that it's really difficult to build community on these generalist platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. It's very surface. Um, when they say community, they it's sort of the structure of community, but there's no real sense of community. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a it's a nuance, but it's a big difference. Well, that's a fact. Anybody who's gone through the YouTube comments will see that immediately. Like it's just this like really hateful <laughs> place. Yes, that's very very true. And e even just in beta from the very outset, we had this very nurturing community that was so excited to have a platform that was purely about nature however they defined nature and people were excited to interact with people and ask questions and and do it in a civil way um people nice to each other there's no trolling um and people really like questioning about scientific accuracy um all of that is something that you can't get on these other platforms and so centralizing things into one platform, really having the mammals team work on fostering community and 
listening to the community and implementing tools that that everybody decides that they want and you know and that's giving the community a voice in in how this whole thing plays out um that's all what we're about yeah and i think that sets us completely apart from anything else that's out there you have mentioned or i have seen in in some of your um information that the engagement on mammals is nine times greater than some of these other competitors um i don't know if that's even something that you want to share with people i mean it seems like it would be but um this, I, I realize this is also from some of your confidential well at least was but maybe that's um I, is that something you can speak to <laughs> or i don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> no, just kidding. well it was confidential this is not live so, so i can edit this out for sure but i'm i'm curious <laughs> no it's totally no, fine no, we're, t- we're just kidding no, this is public information um so well, let me start by saying where we're at right now with mammals and, you know, maybe then I can answer that question. So we have been in beta, in a public beta for about four months. And so on both iOS and web, we've given people within our niche in nature and wildlife and conservation the opportunity to jump on mammals and test it out and see what they think. And these are just real people who were not paying or encouraging to be on this platform. The platform still has a lot of bugs and a lot of quirks, and we're trying to make sure that it's all ready to go for scale. Yet we see some engagement metrics that are competitive with some of the top applications. And it just proves that there are a lot of people who would like to use a platform like this and don't get the same experience on other social media platforms, which is why they've decided to spend so much time here. So you mentioned that our engagement rate is nine times higher than a lot of other platforms. And in fact, it's nine times higher than Twitch. It's actually about a hundred times higher than Instagram. And that's calculated by the number of people who are following you who like, comment, or share a post you make at the time that you make it um, relative to like the total number of followers that, you, or yeah, relative to the number of total followers that you have. So um, if you had 100 followers, you made a post, and 50 people engaged with it, you would have a 50% engagement rate. Okay. So on mammals, we're seeing about a 30% engagement rate compared to something like 0.4% on other platforms. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty astounding um, number for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, do you do you expect I mean, that number to it, scale as mammals grows? No, of course no, not. No, it won't. I mean, that's that's and we know that and but but the thing about it is is, is so if we basically look look at that, I think it's like 6% is about the highest on other platforms that is like the highest engagement rate that you can expect. If we can, if we can come in somewhere around ten percent engagement rate, and that's completely an off the cuff number right now, but looking at it, um, we know we're going to go down as we scale. That's just the nature of how that works. Um, mm-hmm. But, but the idea behind it and the tools that we've created to even see that engagement rate that high now 
and that the tools that we've given people, the concept of people coming to a platform that um, is something that they they love it's it's their thing they can feel a sense of belonging because like this is this is a platform where their people are that's something that you can't necessarily quantify and we'll see but but it is something that i believe is going to keep our engagement rates very high i think it goes for any um sort of niche platform that that um, is is sort of the wave of what's going to happen here in the next few years is we're going to see a lot of, uh, I don't even know if it's a word, nichification. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> but, it, but I think that that's something we're going to see a, a lot of because um, it's very difficult to navigate the big platforms. It's just you, you're on there. There's just so much noise and stuff you don't want to see and it's all based up on algorithms and the algorithms are just this huge mishmash of everything that they have. And it's very difficult to find the things that you're really interested in. And for content creators, it's nearly impossible to get the traction that you need to actually make an impact. Right. Well, and I think too, one of the interesting thing about some of those algorithms is they're just not very good. They some you know for for a platform as large as youtube um it's pretty astounding like the kind of crap that you can be uh you know prompted to to watch next (laughs) like zero relation to anything that you were looking at before it's just kind of like whatever yeah oh yeah the rabbit hole is real right and it goes in all sorts of twists and turns yep it sure does (laughs) Um, (laughs) so so you're building this platform from the ground up um, that takes a lot of work, takes a lot of time, uh, takes a yeah. lot of money. Um, now you talked about that before, um, how nature and conservation work is notoriously difficult to finance. Uh, we have a lot of mm-hmm. filmmakers and podcasters who listen to this show and are members of Wildlands, uh, and they know that story as well as anybody else. Uh, how, how did you do it? What were some of those early conversations around funding like? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, keep in mind that two wildlife filmmakers are coming at this and starting a tech company. So that was interesting. Um, it it (laughs) threw off a lot of investors. In fact, still, every time we introduce ourselves, people usually ask us to repeat ourselves because they're like, you're what? (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's true. But here's, here's the thing is the timing is perfect on this because there's this trend of, the the first thing that Alex and I made a decision about was, is this nonprofit or profit? And in order to compete as a startup in this sort of tech world, this new tech world where we're trying to marry the natural history film business with tech, with tech, um, we knew that being a nonprofit would not make us um, a, a, an attractive offer to people um Mm. and you know the money pouring into tech is not nonprofit. but what we did know is that there is a huge movement for social impact investing and investors are now beginning to look at how can i use my money to make money but more importantly make a difference in the world 
and there's um, a, a very large contingency of investors that are beginning to look at that. And that's something that we wanted to really explore and tap into. It doesn't make it any easier at all um, because, you know, it's, I just liken this whole thing. It's like, it's like pitching a film and which is the one reason going into this whole thing that I had the utmost confidence that we would actually find money because I know that it just takes time and you're going to get a million no's before you get the one yes. But all you need is the one yes. Right. And that sets off a, a series of events that somebody says, oh, you just got money. Now I'm willing to look at you. I'm willing to have a conversation with you because somebody else took the first step in it. And I've always had that experience from day one of making films, finding the money, finding that first money is always the hardest part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nobody wants to be the first one to, to, to first, take the yeah. leap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> that was a huge problem for us. I mean, for a long time, we were thinking we would most likely get money from people who are used to investing in wildlife entertainment and went to a lot of these uh, people who have invested in some of Rob's films in the past or people who, you know, are connected to grants. Uh, we even tried writing to National Science Foundation grants to see if we could go that route. Um, and, you know, while we were playing around with those options in Montana and not making a lot of traction, we then decided, okay, this has to go somewhere else where there's more investment and there's more opportunity for tech. And, so pick your place in California or Boston or Austin, Texas or Seattle. <laughs> right. And so we, we decided San Diego would be a good mix of, you know, financial opportunity. There's a lot of science funding down here. There's a lot of entertainment funding in LA, which is just a couple hours North. Um, and then San Diego is still very connected to nature. Uh, everybody here loves outdoor adventure sports and so it was easy to find talent that wanted to work with us um, but even when we got here and had this fully fleshed out idea that had gone through a hundred pitch deck revisions and we had gone to all these events it was still very challenging to get people to trust you when you haven't done something like this before right mm -hmm. which was not new for me to hear that has basically been what I've been told at every point in my life trying to do any part of my career is that I just don't have enough experience or I don't know the right people. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't necessarily care that much about the credibility part of it, but it does insult the ability for somebody who's passionate to showcase skills that they truly have and just like never get that opportunity to showcase those skills. Um, and that is, um, you know, the, that same skill set applies to me as an entrepreneur in the tech scene, uh, because we're doing this for the exact same reason I was making films and nothing is going to stand in our way. And so that's the reason why Rob and I were able to push through those hundreds of no's to find the yeses is we have, we have a, a mission much larger than ourselves at stake. And that has kept us going through the most challenging parts of this company. But eventually we did find a partner who, uh, who ran an accelerator out of Washington, DC and, uh, an accelerator in the startup space is basically like, a they're like a, a company that will help you find investment, help you find 
partners and uh, developers for your technology in return for usually taking some small share of equity and they put you in their portfolio. Yeah, I like to say that the, an accelerator fills in the gaps that you can't fill yourself. Yeah, they it's, help you with the expertise mm-hmm. you don't have. Yeah, and so in this case, it was how do you even build an app? Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which we had designed with lots of post it so, notes and Photoshop. Yeah. But that was yeah. about as far as we could get with our skill set. <laughs> Yeah, that would be me. Look, I drew it on a piece of paper. Look, it's possible. Yeah. Su- surprisingly, that design that we conceptualized and Alex put it into the digital world. And that is very, very, very close to what Mammals is now. Yeah. So, we found out about a program that would let us put those those sticky notes into a digital space so we could pull them up on our phone and see what it would look like. And so that was a pretty fun yeah. Yeah. way to kill time while we were getting a bunch of notes. So not quite a cocktail time. napkin, but something similar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. The digital version <laughs> of we the actually cocktail still... napkin. Yeah. yeah. And we still have all those post notes somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and the cocktail yeah. napkins. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but we, so, uh, we gave them our, des- sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm curious, like, um, once you maybe, you know, met that accelerator or you started getting some of these yeses, um, what were some of the things they were most excited about? What were the comments that you were getting? I can confidently tell you that we've never had somebody tell us this is a bad idea. Usually the feedback that we get from an investor is that they either don't understand enough about the space to take the risk or they're afraid of the, the challenge ahead building a platform like this of, you know, where do you get the audience? How do you make sure that they are retained on your platform? Because we, most people probably don't know about a lot of these other social platforms that are coming up and never really seeing the light of day, but there are dozens of them. There are apps all the time that are saying, Hey, we're fixing all the bad parts of Facebook. Come try us. And they'll get 10 million people out of their platform in 24 hours because everybody's so excited about the opportunity. And then when they see what it is and they don't have a way to retain them, they lose it all. And then they have to pivot and become something else or they just fold in and you never hear about it again. And so investors know the potential of this type of a user generated content space. They know that things are moving in a niche way. Some investors do care about our mission and they think it's really exciting what we're doing, but getting the courage to go in with a couple wildlife filmmakers who think they have the secret formula to make something like this successful is scary. It's a reckless bunch you filmmakers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it totally is. Um, the, the, I tell you the one thing that I know, and I know this from 20 years of pitching hundreds upon hundreds of films and getting rejected on 99% of them is that, um, People just need to be confident that the people who are doing that work can do it and in that the passion is there and the ideas, I mean, you just see it all the time. These crazy ideas, how in the world did that get fun, funded, you know, and mm-hmm. you wonder like, well, how, how could somebody be putting millions of dollars behind something that has literally no impact on anything in the world. It's just an idea where people can make money and, and they're doing it because the people who 
are selling that idea know that business inside and out. They're passionate about the, the sell. They're passionate about making that thing work. And there's a confidence level that somebody has in saying yes to people who they believe will actually fulfill the mission of the company. I mean, we mm -hmm. could go out and other people who have money could go and be pitching this very same thing. And, and they're going to run into a problem because they don't have the connections within the business. They don't have the understanding of what it means to connect to nature. And those are things that are, I think, a little bit harder. Like having passion is something that you can't go and find somebody to to uh, fill in on that part that you don't have. Passion is something you have or you don't. And, but as far as like, you know, so Alex and I have the passion, but we don't have the tech knowledge. Well, tech knowledge is something you can fill in easily from the entire tech world. And yeah. There are people yeah. that can do that, but everybody buys in to what we're doing and how passionate we are about it. And I think even like Alex was saying, it's not everybody buys into like nature isn't necessarily their top priority. It's not their big thing that they're doing in their life. The biggest thing that I think has sold mammals is not necessarily the idea because we've had investors who love nature. We've had investors who say nature isn't you know, the biggest thing that they're, they're, it's not their biggest love, but what they are investing in is our passion, but not just our passion in that we believe in nature. It's our passion for what we're doing. It's our passion when we start talking about the ins and outs of what mammals is and how this is going to affect this and how that's going to have a cascading effect on on the world in a way that we we believe and we can we can put figures to it but it's that idea of here's two extremely passionate people that i 100% believe can take this thing from concept and where it is at now and take it to the stars and begin to scale this thing and that's that's it's that moment in time when an investor understands that you are exactly the right people to do this thing, no matter what it is, that's when they're going to put the money in. Hmm. But that's not something that you can sell in five seconds. No, it's no, that's exactly right. So that's where the repetition and tenacity come in. I mean, you just have to, keep finding excuses to sit down and have coffee with somebody until they can wrap their mind around how, who you really are and how you really feel about what you're doing. Yep. And, um, and so. along those lines, like you get no's all the time. The thing about it is you can, there's a nuance to people saying no, no in many respects, 
is just a flat out no. You realize, well, maybe I didn't do my homework good enough to like approach this person and this person isn't even going to do it in the first place. They're just not interested. But those people who you've targeted that are in the space, in the vertical, they believe in the mission, those people that say no, those that's a no for now. Yeah. And it's, you always leave it as an, an open conversation Yeah, because at some point in time, there's going to be a, a, a moment that opens up where you can have that conversation again. And we've done this with people where they've come back in and said, okay, I'll invest a little bit of money. And it's, it's remarkable how that works, but it's, it's one of those things that you learn over time that you just can't get down yeah. by all the no's that you're getting because those same people that are saying no just need to think about it more and you need to have more of a conversation. You need to build a relationship with them. And, and then that chance of them saying no exponentially increases. Yeah. yeah. So what some people call stalking is actually just perseverance in the startup world. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's true. And I, you know what? I, I, I also think it's the same way in, I think it's the same way in the film business because I know from experience, I, you know, I have uh, an example of a, a, a film that I pitched um, was on uh, the San Joaquin Kit Fox in the middle of California. And I pitched the film and I got just a bunch of no's. And everybody was like, yeah, that's not just, it's too localized. That's not going to play to an international audience. No, 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 no. And so I just kind of put that in the archive of pitches that I had written up and forgot about it. And four years later, I was at Jackson Hole Wildlife Film Festival, pitching a whole new slate of programs. And this commissioner said, I don't like anything that you have here, but do you have that Kit Fox film still? Oh, wow. And, right. And so you just never know. And I said, of course, well, as a matter of fact, yes, I do. And I ended up making that film. Huh. And that ended up on National Geographic Channel worldwide. And so you just never know when it's going to happen. But just being open to it and knowing that people do actually listen to you. And they, you know, it's just the perseverance is really the key to it. Well, you two clearly are dreamers. Um, in terms of dreaming big, what does mammals look like in one year or in five years? Sure. Well, we do plan to launch the official version of mammals on Earth Day, which is coming up here on April 22nd. And so a year from now, I hope to be in a position where I can proudly tell somebody this is mammals and we've figured out all the, all the kinks and we now have a platform that has thousands of partnered content creators who are making content in all different corners of the nature niche, um, giving people an experience that they can't find anywhere else. And the community is starting to coalesce. People are making friendships that hopefully will last a long time. And, and maybe we're starting to think about doing some 
in-person gatherings to rally that community, <clears throat> to rally that community every year. Uh, but looking down the road, in terms of technology, there are some really exciting things we can do with a platform like this once that community has formed and everybody's been centralized in one place. If you can imagine millions of people sharing media of different types, photos, videos, live streams, audio files from the nature space. So this could be photos of wildlife. It could be photos of uh, landscapes. Uh, those environments, those wildlife populations, as we know, are changing all the time. Most of the time at a rate at which we can't see unless we go back to that place every year. But uh, we don't have to worry about necessarily doing that uh, as research scientists or as individuals because now we'll have a global community that's regularly going to those places, capturing photos of those animals and uploading them to one space. So when you start to integrate some innovations in data science for interpreting what is in that image, is that a tiger? Is that the same tiger that I saw that this person posted in an image? We can train um, some recognition AI, some artificial intelligence, that can start detecting patterns in simply the entertainment that people are contributing and getting out of the platform. And those databases that would result can be shared in a safe way, in an encrypted way, between universities and other uh, scientists who do this type of research to make larger scale and more accurate assumptions about wildlife population patterns, movements, migration patterns, climate change effects than we have ever had access to. Yeah. And that could really help us make some more appropriate decisions about what do we protect? Where do we protect it? What, you know, what animals are of concern here? How do we manage them? How do those animals behave? And what can that human relationship with them look like to make sure that not only are humans happy and healthy in that relationship, but the animals and their populations can be healthy as well? Um, that's, of course, the biggest question in conservation. And this could end up being a tool where we, you know, turn everybody into a citizen scientist on this platform without them even having to try. Yeah, that is And I think that's really exciting. Certified. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool stuff, right? Like, yeah. essentially, you're talking about, you know, you take, you've got this idea for the platform right now, and it's this user content, um, user created content, and it gives everybody the space to not only monetize their stuff, but um, like you said, turn everybody into a citizen scientist. And, but you're, you're talking about uh, effects that you hope to build mammals into, or you hope to come out of mammals that, I mean, we're, we're like, were people like, were investors aware of that, that that was kind of like some long-term goals that you had? Cause that is like truly transformational. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, that's, that is one of the things that Rob and I are most excited about. And the vision of mammals, I think, like you said, is exciting and potentially really interesting to investors. We make sure that we can express that vision whenever we have the opportunity to. The only thing you have to be careful around investors with vision statements is we use a lot of words in that vision that are involving these popular trends like AI, 
like data science, like cryptocurrency, like blockchain, right? And those things can inadvertently scare away those investors because so many people are using them as sizzle words without any real understanding. And a lot of investors have been scared away from opportunities that try to tap into those technologies that have gone negatively. We, of course, would argue that we have a very, uh, you know, fine-tuned way of using those tools for a niche purpose. Um, but uh, we we try to get a feel of the situation and of the person's background before we start explaining our vision. You know, the first things first, let's make sure we know the road map for getting the first year down with a platform that has people on it and those people want to stay here and they're using it a lot and they're actually contributing money to each other. Uh, and then once we've done that, let's start talking vision. Mm -hmm. But of course, Rob and I can't run the company that way. Every single <laughs> step that we take has to have a forward direction toward that vision with that in mind, right? Yeah. And so um, it really does, for us, craft the way that we think about user acquisition and retention and what features we'll have on the platform and what media content we're going to be focusing on. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting and I would like to talk about it all the time, but then I would just be another one of those people who's spouting these crazy big ideas with no real way of achieving them. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. They're sizzle words when I say them. Uh, it sounds like you actually had some, some thought put into that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious, was there a moment early on in this concept development where Mammals could have taken a completely different path. Well, that's a good question. You know, it actually took quite a few different paths. <laughs> we took, we took, I mean, con con the conceptualization period was nearly a year and a half um, where we just kept hashing out what this could be. At one point in time, we were creating the content um yeah that was a mistake that was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that you can't just make a netflix and, and have billions of dollars of content creation yeah, right? yeah 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 um so yeah i mean it it i think the 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 big the big moment that we had where it was like okay this is mammals is when we stepped away from Alex and Rob, the filmmakers, to Alex and Rob facilitating the world's filmmakers and creators to create things about nature and for us to inspire them rather than for us to go out and do that ourselves. Yeah. And that was the point in time when the light bulb went off and we both looked at each other was like, oh my gosh, user-generated content. Mm. We can totally socialize that. We can monetize that. We can do all of these things with it and imagine the, the volume of content that we could get because it's user-generated. The diverse voices from all around the world who've never had a voice in the, the public sphere to tell us how they feel about nature. That that changed the entire conversation. Yeah. And doing that in real time in an interactive way is what's going to give us 
the ability to truly connect people with nature and keep reminding them of that connection every day instead of once every four years. Yeah. Right. And so, so that was, that was what really solidified it. But yeah, we, we played around with other video on demand styles and, you know, what if we went straight live streaming? What if we just focused but, on photography and photo challenges? I mean, there are a lot of different, but actually that, that you saying that now too reminds me of, the other point in time when the light bulb went off as, oh, this is game changing, was when um, Alex really was strongly suggesting that we focus on live streaming mm-hmm. yeah. and that live streaming has to be an integral part of that. And when he started to explain it to me, when I fully understood the Twitch model and how live streaming can be monetized and it's a space that that nature has only experienced nature media has only experienced in static live streaming cameras right like not, bird nest cameras and wildlife holes you know, watering holes yeah things like that. but then the idea that there's this technology that's burgeoning right now that will allow people to get out with backpacks on and live stream their experiences out in nature that really changes a lot of the way that we actually can experience nature in media. And that's really exciting because it's a space that we haven't really explored yet. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I remember writing up a document for something that we were calling adventure streamers, which is, probably the cheesiest name ever <laughs> and we're sticking with it i still like it It does have a very very dora the explorer feel to it it totally yeah. does um but the idea behind that is something that we're actually going to start doing this summer um and so yeah on the on the topic of live streaming believe it or not people who made a living live streaming from a computer wanted eventually to go outside and be able to stream their experience walking around. And so somebody came up with a way to take existing technology and compress it into a backpack and allow somebody to stream for eight hours at a time with consistent internet upload speeds that would give people an HD view of the live stream. Um, and have a total hands-free mobile approach. Mm. And uh, so that backpack technology is now something that's been standardized and is rented and sold by uh, different entities that will host those streams and help you with maintaining the gear. And we intend to offer those gear packages with the service uh, packages to content creators who we think are the most engaging and are doing really exciting things every day so that they can take their audience up a thousand foot cliff or they can go scuba diving or they can give you an idea of what it looks like to sit in a hide and photograph a really elusive animal for hours on end or what a field researcher does when they go out and collect things. Um, You know, all of that can be done in real time with a back and forth conversation using this technology and nobody's doing it and the 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 applications for the natural world and the natural the topics in nature 
you can imagine what this technology could be used for. I mean, it's endless. And so uh, that's something that we would like to integrate right after we launch, because I think that right there is going to be the experience that you can't find anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Plus, a lot of those are activities that there's no way you'll ever find me doing them. Up on a cliff, scuba diving. <laughs> no, thank you. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you can experience it from the comfort of your own home. Perfect. That's perfect. The only way I'm going to get out there. Um, so Mammals launches on Earth Day, April 22nd. Seems like a pretty appropriate time to, to do that. This podcast is coming out before that. Uh, what are things that you want people to know about that date? Um, just short of obviously going out and downloading the, the Mammals app, getting on your desktop and checking it out online. Um, what do you want people to know two weeks from today? Boom, Mammals, go. Yeah, well, if everything went well, you will be able to download the app on the App Store. You'll be able to jump on the web platform. And when you start exploring the platform for the first time, what you'll see is we have some really young, diverse, exciting content creators who have been working with us in beta to plan out content for that launch and be regularly sharing those stories and interacting with audiences and we're going to do our best to make sure that those creators are upfront and obvious so that you can jump in and follow them right away because <clears throat> that's going to give you the experience that Mammals has to offer. And of course, follow your friends, get your family on there too, contribute your own photos, contribute your own videos. There's no professionalism required, right? Like don't be afraid to contribute to the conversation and contribute your own attempts at telling stories because that's what this is all about. Mm. A lot of people are afraid to step in and make that first upload, just like you probably were when you first got a Facebook. But on mammals, it's just about telling people how you relate to nature and what makes you most excited. And so it could be anything from stepping out in your backyard and taking a picture of a butterfly to saying, I'm a scuba diver. Look at this trip that I just did last weekend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you've never used an editing system, you've never used a camera, use your phone and show people what the world looks like around you and how you relate to it. Yeah. Uh, Rob, do you want to add anything to that or, you know, I just, I feel like the people who, if there's any one message that I want to give to people is that if you love nature, if it's your thing, the thing that you derive inspiration from, even if it's something that you don't think about often, but you know, you're like, Hey, I really do love nature. This, this is your home. Like mammals is the place for you. This is the community for you. Um, it's safe. It's scientifically accurate to the best of our ability. And we, um, our 100% nature 24 hours a day. And, um, you know, it's just uh, a place for people to feel a sense of belonging that, you know, and that, and, and, and really help them reconnect to the natural world and all of the noise that's going on today. Mammals could be that one place that you could click on and, get a respite from 
the rest of the world and what's happening. Yeah, that's true. It's a lot. I mean, a lot of people have been telling us already that that's the experience they have there. So that's what we hope to provide everybody else who's coming on for the first time. This should be a refreshing new way to start over with your social experience. Yeah. And if you don't like any part of it and you want to improve any part of it or you experience a bug or something, we made it really easy. You can shake your phone and then tell us what happened. I did see that. That's <laughs> actually that? a pretty cool yeah, feature. So somebody cool. comes, you're doing <laughs> something, something maybe locks up or there's a bug in it, just shake your phone and you can report that bug right away. Yep. Yep. That's pretty clever. Which, and guaranteed there's going to be a lot of, a lot of bugs. We're going to need some uh, entomologists here really quick. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a terrible pun. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. It's mammals. M a M M a L Z. Uh, Rob Whitehair, Alex Finden. Thank you very much for taking time with us. Wish you guys all the best with your launch. You Pam and the rest of the team. Uh, thank you for making time to visit with us. We wish you the best in your niche pursuit of nichification. Yes. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. And thanks so much for having us on. You've been listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast. I'm senior producer Gregory Haddock. Uh, thanks so much to Alex Finden. Happy birthday. And to Rob Whitehair of the Mammals Startup coming out in two weeks. So get out there and check it out. M-A-M-M-A-L-Z. And for a list of all the stuff that we have been, uh, you've been listening to on the show, to all the links, those are all, that's all audio from the new platform. Um, there's a ton of great stuff on there and you can easily jump in and start doing your own contributions as well. They are truly democratizing this space and doing it in a really transformative way. And I really, really, really encourage you to go over there and check them out on that. If you are not yet a member of our Patreon campaign, I'd really like to encourage you to do that. We've got a lot of things coming down the pipe in the next months, and there's a lot of shakeups that we're going to be doing in order to really ramp up the production quality and the consistency of the show that we release to you. We're going to start also um, having extra content that's available only to our Patreon community, starting with questions like this. What is the one thing that when you finally see it on the platform that you'll be like, yeah, this is it. This is this is why we made it. Mm. That's a really good question. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you. I, I... So to hear the full answer to that, you're going to have to go over to patreon.com slash Collective and become a patron today and make shows like this possible. Make shows like this happen. So Gregory Hannock signing off from his park in the middle of northern Colorado. Uh, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. We appreciate all of you so, 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 so much. Best wishes to mammals. We'll be in touch and we'll keep checking in. Hey, quiet dog. <laughs>